Knockback, the retro and nostalgia podcast, is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to patreon.com slash laststandmedia. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Knockback. My name is Colin Moriarty. Today, I'm not joined by my brother, Dagan Moriarty. This is only the second time I've ever done the show with someone else. And the first time I've ever done it uh, with someone who's not my family, direct family, of course. Mm. Maddie's my adopted son. I was going to say. Uh, but I'm here with Mr. Maddie Plays. M- Matt, thank you for joining me today. Of course. Good to see you. Very exciting. We've been, we've been trying to get this going for a couple of weeks now. So, yeah. Happy to be here. This topic playstation portable that we're doing today for our retro and nostalgia podcast has been hanging over our heads for a while <laughs> and dagan my brother who's of course the beloved co-host of the show really the star of the show i don't think anyone really listens to this show for me <laughs> so they'll probably be listening to to it for you now uh but dagan is uh you know 11 years older and he's into a bunch of d- different stuff and he's a huge retro gamer and stuff but PSP is just a total blind spot for him. And we were trying to give him time to catch up with it and all that. But we really just want to get this topic out the door. And since Dagan is beginning his new job um, as the animation director at a studio in New York City, um, we gave him the week off and I invited Matt. And like like Maddie said, we um, have been trying to get this going for a couple of weeks, but it's not been that long. And I really think you're going to be the perfect guest for this, Maddie, because you'll love PSP and it, and I don't have to, I don't have to like wait for Dagan to buff up. You were, you were there. You still yeah. love it. And I think it's going to be really good. So thank you for joining me. Of course. Yeah. Now that I think about it, uh, our first couple of videos together when we were doing side quests were focused around PlayStation portable consoles as the Vita, as well as the, uh, the PSP. So right. Perfect exactly. Fit. Yeah. I, 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 and so I thank you first of all, for taking the time to be here. Of I course. know you're very busy with your own content and of course, defining Duke, Man. which is uh, your Xbox podcast that uh, you do with Carrick for us on Last Stand Media and it's doing very well, uh, especially I, I anticipate it'll continue to grow as people yeah. start getting their games and their consoles and all that. So exciting future. Yeah, definitely. And of course, you're wearing our merch. Uh, appreciate that. If you're watching the video version on YouTube, laststandmedia.shop, if you want to check those things out, all made in America. But the topic at hand, Maddie, is PlayStation Portable. And this was a fan voted topic over on Patreon at patreon.com slash laststandmedia as well if you want to support us there. PSP came out December 2004 in Japan and we got it in March of 2005, beginning in March of 2005 in the West. And this is a pretty auspicious and interesting handheld. Mm-hmm. One that I adopted not too late, but late. Had a weird first encounter with. Have some interesting early stories of it. And then something that... I kind of found my rhythm with and really made me want and want something even better than that, which I think we got with Vita and we'll talk about that. But of course they had kind of blown their load by that point, I think. And um, the Vita obviously did much poorer than the PSP, but I'm kind of curious because I was thinking about that too, about those old videos, not so old, but last year's videos we did on side quest about PSP. And I'm just curious, what is your, when you think about this handheld, what comes to mind for you? Like, is it they're clearly happy and good memories, but like, what is it that you think about when you think about PSP? Yeah, well, my brother was a, a very talented athlete growing up, so we would travel a lot for all of his baseball games. And for me, I remember just, you know, this was my way to continue to game, even though we were away from home for many days at a time. And, um, you know, obviously with school, sometimes my parents would cut me off at a certain point. They had this rule in place of like, no games after dinner. So this uh, portable gaming was always kind of my pathway into into gaming, either A, when I wasn't supposed to, or uh, B, uh, when we were not home. So for me, the the PSP 
was pretty integral to all of that. You know, I always think of uh, Mega Man X Maverick Hunter, I believe it was, uh, on the PSP. Because mm. that was a game that stumped me at first. I rented it, and then uh, I had it for a while, and something just clicked on a baseball tournament trip. I went with my brother and my family, and so I just think of those types of moments where, uh, you know, I, I overcame this very challenging game in the most, like, I was outside a baseball field sitting in a lawn chair, you know, just <laughs> figuring out how to beat all the bosses in Mega Man. So I, I think of those types of things where I was able to have these memories even though I wasn't at home, and I used it in a way that I think the system was designed for. So, I, yeah, those are typically the things that kind of crop up in my head, that, that sense of discovery while not being, like, at a home console. I actually am curious, and we, we got a question about this from the audience, so I'll, I'll allow him to kind of ask it. But Straw Hat Ninja wrote into us on Patreon, just like you can, and says, Greetings, gentlemen. What was your first PSP game? His was Daxter, and he says he was blown away by how, by how good it looked. Now, you brought up Maverick Hunter, and is that, was that your first game? Do you remember what the first game you ever played was on it? So if I remember correctly, I got my PSP when I was around 9 or 10, because based off the years you said it, I had to be in that range. And so I definitely got it around launch, and I know my first game had to have been Daxter. So I'm sort of in the same boat as Straw Hat. When I when I played it, you know, the, the for me, it was the Matrix minigame. That's what really shook me up as a kid. I was like, oh, shit, you know, they got this in this game, man. Like, this is so different. Uh, that was definitely my first game, though. I, I have a lot of memories because I, I kept building that library. And uh, just last year, I believe it was, like I bought a new PSP with, someone sold it for $200, which it was kind of a steal. It was like a PSP with 50 plus games, all complete in box. It was the Darth Vader system, just all in this huge bundle. Oh, the Battlefront one, I remember that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and so uh, for me, it was definitely Daxter L. Yeah, so I have a, a weird story from this era because you were younger. Uh, when this came out, I was in college and I was poor, uh, no money at all in college, and I was freelancing for IGN. But I would, sp and I made pretty good money. I was also a, a landscaper for that era. I was making okay money, but I would spend it all on weed and beer and stuff. So I, I de <laughs> definitely wasn't saving my money for like any consoles. And I was lucky to go to college in 2002 and 2003 when we already had our consoles, right? Like we didn't have to make those big purchases. You had your PS2, your GameCube, your Xbox, and all right. that. So this was. When these things started getting introduced, PSP and also DS around that same time, I didn't have them. And I didn't. I wanted them, but I didn't have any money. And I was pretty a pretty hardcore Nintendo fanboy still at this point. Um, I was a big JRPG fan, so I always loved my PS1 and to an extent PS2. But I was a very big GameCube fan, and so DS was more my my focus. And I didn't have that either. And I had I actually got jury duty, and my friend from Harvard lent me his. Um, is a DS and I played Super Mario or whatever and I was totally addicted to it. So I went and finally got one of those. But then um, in the summer of 2006 and I wrote it down in the date, it was in August of 2006 at IGN. I was a strategy guide writer and it was good to have as much access as you could to different platforms so you can play as many games as possible. But I didn't have access to the to, to PSP and they were like, if you can get access to PSP, we have a game called Valkyrie Profile Lenith, which I was really I was really familiar with because I had played Valkyrie Profile, the tri-ace game from PS1 published by Enix before they became Square Enix or fused with Square and became Square Enix. Those are the guys that made Star Ocean, of course. And so I said yes. And my roommate and I, I this is how long ago it was his name was John, but I don't remember his last name. I don't uh, like these memories are starting to fade. The only <laughs> thing I remember about this guy is that he had a huge Rhode Island flag in his bedroom and the Rhode Island flag is like an anchor with the words hope on it. 
or the word hope on it. And I just remember that really well, but he had a PSP. So I was like, send me Valkyrie profile. And my first experience was using his PSP to borrow it, to write a strategy guide for the game. And as I, I've told people in the past, the nub, like the, the analog nub, Uh I didn't know for months that that was an analog nub. I thought it was a speaker. Dude, yes, I think this is a fairly common thing now that I've like said it over and over again. But that's what I remember at the very beginning was playing this very mysterious, high quality LCD screen. It was very interesting, connected to the Internet. It was it was very mysterious. So that was my earliest memory. Did you play Valkyrie Profile, Lenneth? Because that seems like a game you would actually enjoy. It's funny. I actually the reason I reacted the way I did is because I just a couple months ago, I've been building up my game collection more and more. I just bought this completely uh complete in box and because I, I saw it and i thought this game looks amazing you know it's a side scroller but it's also like a jrpg there's choices that you're kind of on like i don't want to say a time limit but there's a sense of urgency and i have other valkyrie profile games but this is the one that was kind of like what you were using the term earlier like my blind spot and so yeah it, it looks right up my alley it's like I, i'm getting this i'll play it at some point in time i just want to have it right now before the prices go up anymore but yeah i uh i loved the uh one of my i don't know if it would be an rpg i don't, I don't think it really is but for me my alluring title that sort of rolled me into the psp before i had bought it uh i, I was visiting my buddy's house and yeah he always introduced me to tons of games like he would showed me my the xbox 360 we played samurai warriors 2 on that and to me that was hilariously enough mind-blowing you know it's just muso game right but when it came to the PSP, he was playing uh, Monster Hunter Freedom Unite. And I remember that one in particular, the openness of it and the big beasts and uh, kind of the pace of the game. It was unlike anything I had really seen. And so for me, that was that it wasn't even the game I went out and bought. But I think of it like when I played Morrowind on the original Xbox, he showed me that too. And I remember like I didn't go out and buy Morrowind for my Xbox, but it made me want an Xbox because I was like, oh, there's so much capability here. So this was always the game that kind of was like that that little nook that that stuck with me when I purchased it. And funny enough, I'd go off to one of my most played games on the PSP was probably SmackDown versus Raw 2006 or seven, something along those lines. So, <laughs> you know, that was one that I played a absurd amount. My friends and I talk about the soundtrack for that game because they one of my closest friends actually uh, had, had played it a lot on his PSP as well. Uh, so it's just funny how uh, I think the, the lifeblood of some of these systems is really that, that third party. And um, I just, yeah, like I said, I always go back to that monster hunter and, and think on how that's where it really all started. The idea of like, I want this for my birthday, mom and dad. And here we are. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because it's a, it was the first time that we got a machine, like a handheld machine with its own unique games that kind of stood up in some weird admixture to what was going on on console at the time. Mm -hmm. I was fascinated by that because we would always get Game Boy Advance or even Nintendo DS ports that were totally different games. And and that's cool. And of course, there were handhelds that played console games like the Nomad specifically. But in terms of really getting something that was unique and new on the go, it felt so advanced. And you're right, like it's so interesting you, you brought up, you know, wrestling and you had and all these other things because PSP was also a really big sports machine and that can't be oh, yeah. underrated uh, in, in its in the conversation about the show and also Sony's own proprietary NBA series that doesn't exist anymore. Both of those out of Sony San Diego. That's kind of where they made 
their bones, as it were. And the wrestling games were pretty big on there. We had a lot of EA support with Need for Speed yeah. and FIFA um, Madden. So it was a huge deal to get those games and not have gimped versions of them, basically, on cartridge based handhelds. And I wonder, were you playing Nintendo DS or GBA at this time as well? Yeah, so I think that's why it grabbed me so tightly is because I went from Game Boy Advance to PSP. I didn't have a DS until after the fact when I wanted more handheld games and more options and I was seeing them do like Pokemon and stuff for it. So for me, I was going from, you know, Pokemon Emerald or uh, I think of, uh, what is it? Chain of Memories from Kingdom Hearts. I was going from these very pixelated, rough looking games that um, clearly were limited. And then you get something like a God of War Chains of Olympus on your PSP and it's just a it's a whole different world you know it like you said it really challenged the level of quality that a console game would bring I, one of my most played games on my PSP also was uh Ultimate Alliance Marvel Ultimate Alliance and mm. yeah I played that on pretty much every system it's ever released on it's one of my favorite games and I think of the PSP version a lot because it's identical to what I played on 360 and uh PS2 and I think that's a testament to what was so great about the PSP was that ability to get that ideal experience on the go you had to deal with you know longer load times you'd hear the the, the umd spinning in the back like that sound that it always yeah, made be I, working hard yeah because yeah. i'd be terrified i'd be holding my psp and i, I don't want to like touch the 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 disc area that's in because i don't want to like press down on it in my head i'd be like grinding the the plastic against a, a spinning disc not remembering that it had the, the plastic covering on it but you know i those types of things were, were worthy trade-offs for what was otherwise this you know, I know it was sort of the PS Vita's calling card, but these console quality games on the go. Yeah, it, you're right. It's it's and again, where a lot of really capable studios, like you said, with God, the two God of War games with Ready at Dawn and others made their bones and, and really extracted and Daxter too, really extracted a lot out of uh, the console. In fact, a studio like Ready at Dawn wouldn't exist without PSP. So it's interesting mm-hmm. to to track its its legacy back in that way. And I agree with you, like it's it's interesting. That's a quantum leap to go from Game Boy Advance, like you said, to PSP without DS in the middle as kind of the evolutionary step. But I was really intrigued, too. And I still because people know I'm, I'm really technologically Ill- illiterate. I don't know very much. So you could have imagined me with the PSP. I, I like I said, with the, the nub and all of that, like I didn't know what the hell is even going on on this thing. But it, what did you think about the kind of introduction that we were given on this machine too with? And you had brought it up a little bit, but this idea of of interconnectivity and ad hoc multiplayer and online multiplayer, you had brought up the Battlefront version of PSP. I mean, that was a game that was famous in the IGN offices for all of us to play together. And it connected to the Internet. Now, the DS did, too, but it was just it was different. It, it felt like you were on the Internet and you could you can go you can like go to websites and do all. it was a really amazing machine in this way. Did you even at a young age feel like that? Because uh, you, you, when you're young, you're kind of more ingratiated into this stuff. And so it's a little it's maybe not as impressive to you. But I think even that 10 year difference to me, I was like mind blown <laughs> by what this thing can do, especially at the price point. So were you similarly interested in all kind of the accoutrements on the machine? You just unearthed a memory I completely forgot about. Oh, my God. So because I, when you first said I went, I don't even think I played this thing online. Like, I remember playing Battlefront and my friend would, you know, how they had the kill feed, which would say, like, you know, Maddie shot this 
player. Right. My friend would be like, are you playing online? And I had no idea. I was like, yeah, I am. So if you thought you were technologically illiterate, I was a technological caveman by that point. But right. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I, I think to a, a time where uh, the, I think the PSP homebrew scene was kind of picking up where you could get Nintendo games on your PSP. And as a kid, the idea of having everything in one was fascinating. So I remember my dad and I, we went online. We we're just surfing around eBay. We're looking up these. Uh, you had to get, if I remember correctly, like a type of memory card. And you had to do something with your your system. And I remember it was this whole project. Like we like we spent fifty dollars on this memory card. Uh, for me, you know, like because my dad would give me chores, and you know, I would sell stuff on eBay. I'd build Legos and then sell like minifigures on eBay. That's how I'd make my money as a kid. Well, that's awesome. <laughs> I had a Entrepreneurial. Honestly, that's, yeah, that's dope. Yeah, I I, yeah. I remember uh, one of my my biggest gets as a kid was was taking the Harry Potter mini minifigs. I sold like four of them in total for eighty dollars, and I was like, I was really soaring as a kid. I felt really good about that. That's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's super cool. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, I take my money and I'd spend it on all these game things. And uh, this was the one I spent 50 bucks on. And we thought, because my dad didn't really do a lot of research, I'm a kid, not to not to put all the blame on my dad, but I'm thinking like, okay, we're going to put the memory card in. You connect the uh, the PSP to the, the, the computer and then you download games on here. Simple. And I just remember completely destroying my PSP. Like it just, it wouldn't work with that memory card. And I had to throw it out. And essentially I wasted $50 and who knows, I probably just had missed something because I was so young. I had no idea what I was doing. But I remember that specifically was a, a moment where the internet was connecting to the console. And, you know, because I never played online or anything, um, you know, just growing up. Uh, I like multiplayer games now, but it's definitely not my bread and butter. And it never really was except for a period of time in high school where I was just a Call of Duty addict, like I think many people were. But yeah, when it came to the PSP, it's funny because it was, I think for most, I'm not sure though, for me it was like offline, even like ad hoc being next to someone and just like connecting to them. That was not even something I did. Yeah, it was It was something, you know, some people did and some people didn't. It actually wasn't super germane to my own experience with it either. I just remember being pretty impressed that it was, it was capable of doing all of this stuff that would later kind of become what your phone did it in some way mm. it was a little bit ahead of its time in some ways which i think is cool i'm so pleased that you brought up um, emulation because justin tudor wrote into us on oh. uh, patreon and he says i will invoke my fifth amendment right to not discuss the vast amount of games i may or may not have legally purchased <laughs> on this amazing little console so it we wouldn't be able to talk about playstation portable maddie without talking about the homebrew scene on it which was essential i think to its, its success whether or not sony would ever want to admit that especially because of what appears to be a pretty poor long term attach rate for the system and and all the rest, but with really high sales numbers surpassing 80 million units sold. Very impressive. So for people that don't know, and I think most people do in 2005, pretty, pretty quickly, PSP was busted wide open and it happened rapidly. And Sony, based on the connectivity of this thing, as Maddie was saying, could th there was a double edged sword because this was the first PlayStation piece of PlayStation hardware that could be patched. And so they would start to patch it. And Maddie might remember that patches used to come on UMD disks with the game. So like if the game needed version three or better, then it would actually come with version three. So when wow. you started putting games into the console, it actually would break your homebrew. So there was a bunch of different ways Sony was trying to break it. And I don't know if you, you remember that. So, so once it was homebrewed and people had like a solid version of the NES emulator and the SNES emulator and all that kind of stuff running on it, people were loath to update and they really couldn't so your your v or your psp stayed in this static state and that's why a lot of people bought another one so they can actually play games <laughs> on it which i think also 
increased exponentially the uh, the sales. But hmm. it was a huge deal to I remember having to, at my fingertips uh, really for not the first time because I had this on my PC and even in the 90s. But anywhere you wanted to go, it was like I had every NES game, every SNES game. It was just in a list. You would just select it and it would boot it and you would just be able to play. I mean, how amazing was was that was that uh, was that sort of functionality whatever kind of access you might have had to it important for you to have some sort of older school pedigree it was really important to me for instance to be able to fill in all the holes that i had growing up from nes and snes and all that and i imagine since you're younger that you had more glaring ones so this might have been a useful tool i I feel like this might have been a psp was kind of a back door into the old school which was cool yeah i remember uh specifically I have a, a deep love, like I think many do, do like TMNT side scrollers. So for me, it was a way to try out some of the older ones. Like, funny enough, I think it was called TMNT 3 Mutants in Manhattan, I want to say, which is just interesting because they in 2016 released Mutants in Manhattan as well for from Platinum Games. But yeah, I, I, I distinctly remember like those types of games, having access to them eventually uh, was was pretty important to just because that that was the system I, I never experienced until way later. Uh, in my teens, my dad, he used to help out at, I forgot exactly what the facility would be called, but it was a, um, it was almost not an orphanage of sorts, but uh, he would help out kids who, who, I guess you could say it was an orphanage, but anyway, they would sometimes get like these excess things that no one wanted. And one of them was a, uh, an NES console that like didn't really work. And so I actually remember fixing that up and that was my first time really playing around with the NES. I've never owned one. I never owned an SNES. I always wanted one. Uh, so it, that's always forever been my, in the terms of owning it and experiencing a vast library, been my blind spot. And so, yeah, the, the, the PSP emulation scene was pretty integral to just getting my hands on some of that and seeing what it's about because I didn't have access to it. And it's really hard to, to get your hands on that stuff without spending tons of money on you know, eBay or something along those lines. And so, yeah, as a kid who, who didn't have really any money at all, it, just being able to emulate some of these older games and I think to Sony's benefit, playing my PSP more and really solidifying it as one of my favorite consoles ever, it, it benefited me big time. I, I dug it. Yeah, hell out I, of it. I couldn't imagine that it did. You know, I'm sure there are a lot of people out there that are very, you know, on the up and up. It emulation is stealing. I, I don't deny that at all. I don't support it for newer consoles and newer pieces of, of software, but yeah. I have no problem even at that time with NES and SNES stuff, especially because it was so hard to play a lot of those games. And until my whole stance on this, just as a, as a, an aside for the audience is as long as publishers and rights holders make it hard or impossible to play these games in ways that are legal, I'm going to play them in ways that are illegal. I mean, I'm not, I actually don't have any emulators right now and I haven't in several years, but I've been pretty open that with my S my NES and SNES classic. Like I'm going to bust those things open at some point. Cause if you're, you're, I want to buy these games. I want to buy them in a coherent way where I can play them where I want to play them and all of that. And if you're going to make it difficult to do, then sorry. Well, it's very know, interesting they, because they're so like so scarce to find that online on something like eBay or Macari, you'll, you'll find them for these astronomical prices. And these companies just don't realize like Square Enix still sells their old games. And I think they get that. Hey, we can make money off of these older games. And it, it blows my mind that someone like Nintendo isn't saying Let's have a storefront with some of our old NES games, SNES games, and start reproducing them a little bit, like in, in little bursts. Um, I, I think a lot of these companies overlook the amount of interest there is in either collecting or just people wanting to replenish their uh, collection in general, just that type of stuff. Yeah, and you would think you would want to recapture, I mean, it's not lost revenue per se, but crater the black market 
and the, and the secondhand market if you wanted to with a yeah. you know a snap of the finger which would be pretty <laughs> interesting so yeah all right i want to ask you about the format that psp was famous for which is the umd mm. David Graham wrote in and he asks about something specific, but we can kind of expand from here. He says, what experience do you have with the UMD movies? It's cumbersome by today's standards, but I find it to be seriously impressive when you consider this was the era of portable DVD players, while the PSP allowed you to have feature length films on a pocket sized device. So the UMD was the format for all the games you bought. But and this is funny for maybe younger listeners or people that didn't have one or whatever. There was this attempt, although it was abandoned pretty early, to make an, an entire deep, like parallel DVD catalog, basically, of UMD movies. And they released a bunch of movies, films that you would put in your PSP. And it was a pretty unique thing. Sony had a bunch of this weird stuff going on, even with Minidisc and others. So it wasn't maybe that special. But in hindsight, it seems pretty daring to have done that to try to make a multimedia machine, which seems so intuitive today. So I give them a lot of credit for that. But the UMD, this interesting kind of proprietary, very Sony like thing that they made for some reason. What are your memories of this thing? And you had talked about like the the churn and the noise. It was interesting even putting them in the PSP, putting them in backwards or upside down. It almost reminds me of USB ports where I always put it in wrong. I, I never quite got it. So what are your memories of the format? I remember as uh, as a kid, I'm going to make it sound like I was a nervous wreck, but I just didn't want to break anything. But especially when you're putting the UMD in and it wouldn't like fit in right away. And you see you're just looking down at this metal contraption. You're like, I don't want to bend anything. I don't want to break anything. I I hope nothing goes wrong here. I think I slid it in right. You try to close it. It kind of clamps on the disc. But yeah, with UMD, like with movies specifically, I know for a fact, like as a kid, it's so funny to think this, but. I know for a kid, as a kid, I, I thought this is stupid. I, I, I hated the idea of watching movies on my PSP as much as I hated the idea of people who bought uh, Game Boy cartridges that had episodes of their favorite TV shows on it. I remember right. my friend lent me one for Ninja Turtles, the TMNT 2003 animated series, which is, by the way, my favorite. And I remember watching an episode of that. It was the first one. It was called Things Change. It was just episode one. And that was it. Now, I thought to myself, this is fucking dumb. Like, I just watched this whole thing. There's not more I can watch. It looks awful. I mean, there was, I understand, I agree with the idea that it was pretty novel for its time. And I get what they were doing and why they were doing it. And there was something there. But for me, my mindset was always, I could be playing something right now. So I I just, especially with with limited money, I I didn't have the interest in buying a movie that I could watch a couple of times uh, in the car. I was like, if I'm going to be in the car, say we're going on a three hour trip, I'm just going to play a game for three hours. You know, I don't remember if they had car chargers or not, but like I'd play the game until the the battery died, and then I probably switch to a Game Boy. Like I, I don't know. I just it sounds like a borderline obsession, and and people may be correct on that assumption, but for me, it felt like time wasted, which is strange because I'm I'm playing a game in a car. But yeah, I never uh, I, I never dug the whole the whole movie thing. As for the UMD itself, uh, I never had an issue. I just remember recently when I got my whole collection. Um, what I wanted to do was I got this copy of Crisis Core and it came in this uh, third party metallic looking gray UMD case. And I was like, oh, I want to put this in the, the white one. So I, I I pop it open. I take out the disc and I go to put it in, the, in into an actual traditional white one with the, the clear plastic across it. To I don't know. OCD kind of thing. And right. so I try to like clamp it together and now I can't clamp either together and pretty much this this disc was just left loose for a while until I was able to clamp its original one shut because I think once you pop open, unless I'm incorrect, 
either you know or maybe the audience knows. But once you pop open the, the white casing, it's not, I thought it was something you could just clip back together. But it seems like you can't. And so for me, that's when all these years later, I was messing around and went, is this novel? Because you can crack these easily. They, I remember as a kid, they definitely split easily. And so I was very gentle with them, like pulling them out of their casing. You know, that was that was always a little nerve wracking because uh, I was in my head. It was going to just snap in half at some point in time or, or pop open. Well, they did seem brittle because like yeah. when you shook them, they the disc inside shook. It wasn't like this. This it didn't <laughs> yeah, seem very well made. It was kind of weird. You yeah. Know? But uh, I'm with you, though, in terms of I was the same way. I'm, I'm still the same way where I really like taking care of my stuff. I'm like pretty persnickety about it. Mm. And uh, yeah, the PSP like pulling them out of the cases and stuff and. It is true. It's, it, I actually felt the same way about Vita cards coming out of the Vita case where you kind of are pulling them out, you know, and you feel like I'm like, am I going to break this? Is this thing just going to snap See, in I, half? I, like, I, I don't understand. confident doing a little Vita pull. Yeah, I was like, yeah, you get, it's out. It's um, it makes me a little nervous, but. All right. So Calvin Kirstein wrote in about something interesting. I don't know if you have any experience with this. I, I only do because I worked at IGN, so I saw some of this stuff, but mm. he says, uh, thanks for doing an episode on the PSP. I remember putting in my pre-order and couldn't contain my excitement when I finally got to try out the handheld for the first time in 2005, a truly special machine. Do you guys remember the weird add-ons that it had? I completely forgot about the camera until I unlocked it, unlocked it in Astro's Playroom on the PS5. So Astro's Playroom, the built-in game on PlayStation 5 is awesome, and it's basically just a, hist- a history lesson in PlayStation, and PSP plays a prominent part in that, and they do show some interesting stuff in there. I remember the camera because it was used by some games, but I'm wondering, do you did you have any experience with any of this stuff? Do you even Mm -hmm. remember reading about because you were young, but it was kind of funny. Like there was a GPS receiver and like uh, there was other third party stuff like motion sensors and TV stuff and weird batteries and all sorts of stuff. So PSP was pretty robust. And what I remember most about it, which was cool, is that you could connect it to the TV which for some reason they just would not let you do with Vita until the Vita TV came out. Mm. And everyone assumes that's what that's what the mystery port on it was for. But do you have any knowledge of the peripheral scene at all? Yeah, I hate to always get I hate to give this answer, but I, I honestly don't. I, that was that's com- that was completely news to me right there. I've never heard of that. It's uh, pretty interesting because they, they did tie some of that in when Vita came out. Like there was native apps like near and stuff that were more gps oriented that i think they started to kind of engineer Mm -hmm. with psp but of course it didn't it didn't quite work out that way another thing people wrote in about matt that i i think would be interesting to touch on is um which version of the psp or versions of the psp we had uh jonathan barnett wrote in and said simple question psp psp slim or psp go i love the original but my friend stole it after getting a psp slim to replace my broken battery thanks well thanks for writing in jonathan so I was actually reading about this and I I don't I didn't know this. I must admit there are actually five versions of the PSP. I know about the three major versions, the major iterations, which is the 2005 PSP or 2004 PSP. And then in 2007, that was the PSP 2000. And then in 2009, they released the PSP Go, which was just the digital version of PSP where they were. It was kind of the missing link between PSP and Vita. But there were two other versions that I guess were only released in Europe, which I didn't know about the 3000 which I guess had slightly different dimensions of the 2000 and then one that didn't have a Wi-Fi connection. So the exact opposite of what they were doing with PSP Go called PSP Street. And uh, I didn't never heard about this as well, but I ended up having all three versions ultimately access to all three of them. But I didn't buy my own 
until two, the fall of 2007. And it was when Castlevania, the Dracula X Chronicles came out mm. the same month that Final Fantasy Tactics War of the Lions came out. That's when I couldn't hold off anymore and got my own. But so I I have fondest memories of the 2000. But working at IGN, I had access to all three. I didn't like the PSP Go. It was too small for me. What is which ones did you have access to? And and if you had access to more than one, which one did you prefer? I always had access to the I believe it was the slim model. Is this I, I just want to double check one thing before I fully answer, because I remember the PSP Go once again, same friend who seemed to introduce me to everything. He had that. And I remember that being like a what is this contraption kind of moment um but is the the battlefront psp that i was talking about do you recall like what is the differentiation between the slim and the original because i was trying to while you were talking i was trying to look up slim models versus the original psp and unless i'm going crazy i think yeah yeah I so i i have a pulled up here because just because i was looking at it before the display is the same, but the PSP 2000 has twice as much RAM mm. and twice as much internal storage. And I think its dimensions are slightly different. So I think it okay. was just a refresh to make it slightly less heavy mm-hmm. and also to make it cheaper to make. But then the PSP 3000, we never even got here. And I didn't even right. honestly know that that existed. And then the PSP Street, I don't know. I, I When the PSP Street came out, apparently in 2011, I was covering PlayStation at IGN. So this is something I... I definitely should have known about, but I don't remember it at all. So it the P, but when you put the PSP 1000 and 2000 next to each other, you can truly tell the difference between them. They're totally different. They have like the same form factor, right? But one is much thicker than the other, I think, as I recall. Well, I'll say this much. I know for a fact yeah. I, I had the base model because I got it around launch because uh, I got it for my birthday and I never got a new model after that. So I had to have had only the original I messed around with the Go, and I remember that being kind of a novel. It reminded me of the, of the the, the Game Boy Advanced Micro. You know this this why does this exist kind of moment I had. It was just this tiny, weird thing, and I don't know why anyone wanted to play on a micro. I hated that thing. I, I hated it. I, I didn't get it, man. Like no, I, I have big hands now as an adult, but like I I looked at it when I was a kid, and I was like, there's no way you could play that, and so. Uh, the, the Game Boy, or I'm sorry, the PSP Go kind of remind me of that same feeling I experienced when that was the only other model I had my hands on. But as far as it goes, you know, because you mentioned heft and I remember the PSP when I played it as, when I was younger, it definitely felt like it had a little bit more to it. So I can't imagine I had a slim model. But yeah, other than that, I never experienced much more beyond um, the base console, to be honest. And if the uh, the Battlefront one is a PSP slim, then I do have that now. And I don't know if I could feel an exact difference, so to speak, outside yeah. because that's what I was trying to, to search more so than anything, because that was the last one I used. I will say after using the Vita for like seven years or whatever, uh, maybe a little bit less than that. Uh, actually, yeah, less than that, because I got it in 2014. Not having two analog sticks on your on your portable console feels weird. It pretty rough really really weird because you see developers getting creative they're like oh let's let's put the camera control on the left trigger and the right trigger or you hold a button and then you use the directional buttons to uh to, to orient the camera like, there are a lot of really weird tricks but that's off topic point being is yeah i i do recall distinctly the the base model now i'm seeing a P, psp e1000 yeah this is what i had i don't know why but I remember always looking at the the box I got after because I opened it on my birthday and I couldn't use it right away because my family was still over. 
And uh, I sound, I sound, I swear to God, I sound like my parents just locked me in a room <laughs> sometimes and just. <laughs> well, no, I mean, that's what that's what. First of all, that's what this podcast is all about is like the memories of being a kid. Right. As a kid. I mean, that's like torture, you know, to <laughs> yeah. wait. They're, they're just like, you gotta be nice. You know, the guests are here. I'm like, fuck that, man. I want to I want to go play my new system. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's the worst. Yeah. I totally know what you mean. I mean it's t- t- the total worst. I, I totally remember that that feeling that that angst as you want to like get through your presence. Yeah. All right, so I want to talk about some specific games, and for me, this console or this handheld was a few things, but it was certainly a role-playing game machine for me, and uh, Matt Hawkins wrote into us on Patreon and said, hey guys, for me, the PSP was awesome because of the Final Fantasy games that appeared on it exclusively. The remaster versions of Final Fantasy 1 and 2 were great and are the definitive ways to experience those games. Then you have the Final Fantasy 4 collection, which combines the main game with a good sequel that was available only on Wii prior to this. Then, of course, there's Crisis Core, which is a great game and by far the best supplemental game in the Final Fantasy VII universe. It's a shame that these, along with many other games, are stranded on PSP with no hope of release elsewhere. It's interesting, Maddie, because I brought up another game from Final Fantasy and he didn't bring it up here, but it might be the most important of them all, which is War of the Lions, mm. which is considered the quintessential way to play Final Fantasy Tactics. And for some reason, is just locked on this handheld. And I think they might have brought it to like iOS, but. It has a new translation of Final Fantasy Tactics. So when Final Fantasy Tactics came out in 98, it was it was finally translated, but it was translated in such a way on PS1 that it was like old Englishy and it was almost inco- incoherent. I remember being a kid and not really even knowing what was going on in the game. I, I loved it, but right. this kind of redid it and people really liked it. And I have to agree with with Matt Hawkins here who wrote in because this was a Final Fantasy machine. And it's so funny because I remember before I bought my own PSP, I moved to California in July 2007. And and, uh, you know, one of the perks of working at IGN was just being able to pillage the office for whatever you wanted. I mean, this is why I didn't I didn't own my own PS3 until PS3 Slim came out because I just didn't need, need to, to own one, you Makes know, sense. and uh, I never owned an Xbox 360 outside of the one that I just had at the office that I'd bring home and stuff like that. So I brought a PSP home when I first moved there because I had no money. I had no friends, really. I had nothing to do. And I have really fond memories of Final Fantasy one and Final Fantasy two on PSP because I had never played Final Fantasy two. As far as I remember, no, no, that's not true. Final Fantasy one and two were released on PS one and Final Fantasy Chronicles or whatever. Final Fantasy Origins. Sorry. But uh, this was a way to play those games again in handheld form. And uh, they were awesome. I I loved playing those games. And I'm so glad that he brought up Final Fantasy IV, the complete collection, too, which was a late PSP release in 2011. I reviewed it at IGN. The best way to play Final Fantasy IV if you have access to a PSP, because it not only has Final Fantasy IV with proper balancing, but also has the after years stuff, like he said, which was WiiWare, actually, for a couple years only. Hmm. And then he brought up Crisis Core, which is a great Final Fantasy VII game and kind of an interesting game to talk about right now, Maddie, because... This game kind of lives again. Yes. It's incredibly integral to understanding the events of Final Fantasy VII Remake. And I have a really strange feeling that we're going to see this game get re-released at some point. Uh, and I think we should. It would be awesome. So what are your memories of Final Fantasy specifically on this handheld? Do you have do you have any experience with these games? Yeah, and it's actually funny. I, I like how this comment mentions the kind of remastered versions of Final Fantasy 1 and 2 because obviously a lot of people who listen know this. I'm sure you do too because I like to harass you about it. But obviously I'm a big Persona fan and... Um, I was looking at Persona 1 and 2 and I was because I, I found some of their soundtracks and I was like, wait, this is really good. So I'm looking up uh, or actually I, for a video, I went into my my PlayStation Classic because they had Persona 1 on it and I needed footage. And I was like, well, not do it in this. And it was completely different from what I saw online. And it turns out that the PSP version completely overhauled the game in a lot of ways. So it's just funny that 
this was brought up that there are other remastered things on the PSP that I don't think many talk about. Uh, and Persona happens, one and two happen to be in that catalog with Final Fantasy. Uh, when it comes to, to, to Final Fantasy games, though, uh, oh my gosh, it, for me, I, it's funny to say this now because a lot of people associate me as like the RPG guy. You know, I, I love turn-based combat. I love strategy. I, I love anything that allows me to tinker with skills, build characters, make choices. That's my jam now. As a kid, though, Kingdom Hearts was my jam because it had those type of elements, but I was able to do action combat. I always said, man, I'd be so into Final Fantasy if they didn't have turn-based. And funny enough, Crisis Core was this dream come true type of moment where you went, oh my God, this is it. They have, they have action combat. With some, of course, strategic elements, but it was action combat in a Final Fantasy game. So you had like the cool aesthetic of all the characters, this interesting story. It was kind of dark, and then you had on top of that action combat. To me, that was like the the major kicker. So that was probably out of anything on the on the PSP when it came to Final Fantasy, my biggest memory, because um, I didn't really mess around with turn based games for a very long while. It's it's hard to think of. Actually, if I name the game that I think cracked the mold for me, I'm pretty sure I get my gamer card completely revoked. But I, I what want. Is, well, what is it? I want to say, if I remember correctly, I want to say it was Final Fantasy Thirteen Two that really actually kicked the door down for me. I, I I remember that game fondly, but I don't know what it was. I did not like turn-based games. I played that, and from then, I felt like a lot more open-minded to other games because I enjoyed. it. I thought that game was pretty good, to be quite frank. From there, that's that's really where it starts. So I was late to the turn-based stuff, and that's why I like to go back and re-review things on my channel. Um, but yeah, I think Crisis Core is still sort of on topic. I, I definitely would be shocked if that did not come back in some way, shape, or form. It seems extremely relevant. And funny enough, we, we talked a little bit about it. Just there are so many great games on the PSP that are stranded there. Like you brought up Valkyrie Profile, Lenneth. I thought that'd be a great one to, to get on other systems, get more people experiencing that. I'm looking at my collection now. I took a picture before I left my house just to kind of uh, make sure I had a, a point of reference. It took a while for Birth by Sleep to come out on, on consoles other than the PSP. Daxter is still there. And I think that'd be if they did like, hey, 15 bucks. Here's a, a, a console remaster of that. Just, you know, pretty much remapping the controllers and redoing the resolution. Lord of the Rings Tactics was awesome. That was one I really did enjoy funny enough. Uh, so there were these really neat games there that are just stranded and that was sort of the the thing with the PS Vita is is and and I think Sony kind of woke up to that with the Vita and realized hey we have these great games and no one's playing them and eventually extracted the library where now a lot of things that are exclusive to the Vita are, are no longer uh, that being the case so it's just Indeed. interesting that the PSP is in a situation where I'm looking now I, there's a re Killzone Liberation re uh, Resistance Retribution I mean there there were just so many games there that they're they're still only there. Not that yeah. they all need to get ported, but it'd be it'd be awesome if. Have you ever played the the Sega Genesis collection? I played it on PS3, but not the PSP one. It would just yeah. be really cool if PlayStation did something like a, a PSP collection and just threw thirty games together, like a rare replay almost idea, and just threw them all onto one disc. I would love that. I'm so glad that you said that because uh, Nat Patterson wrote in and he said, "Hey guys, glad to have a topic about the only PlayStation console I never owned. Oh. Do you see uh, foresee any sort of PSP classic or maybe a digital backwards compatibility library on PS5 in the future? Mm. I'd love to dive into the library at some point. Thanks for all that you do." I think Maddie to this point because it's a good question. First of all, I don't think they're going to do that because mostly because I think PlayStation Classic was just such a disaster and mm. that was that was their fault. I don't know what they were even thinking with that machine. They could have done it better than that. I don't know why they did it that way. And they can't put the uh, 
the toothpaste back in the tube, unfortunately. So that's that. But they do have this weird cache, like you said, of games that are stranded here. And even the first party games that they tried to get off PSP, they didn't really get off PSP very adequately because there were like some uh, siphon filter games, for instance, that were released on both, but they were are on PSP, but then also on PlayStation 2. So it's not even like they were finding the audiences they were migrating to PlayStation 3. So a lot of these games truly are locked away. And it's a shame. And I feel like they have to do something about this. I don't know what the answer is. And and to your point, they're going to have to do this with Vita as well, because there are games like Freedom Wars on Vita and others yes. where it's like, you got to do something with this game. Like, why you're really just going to leave this here or, you know, uh, some of the you know, Uncharted Golden Abyss. Even I, I, I have it on good authority that there was a PS3 port in, in the works for that, but that never happened. So there's like a core Uncharted game that's like locked on the Vita. And so PSP has. These games now, they got some of the games off God of Wars, for instance, were both off yeah. there and they got those on PS3, which was great. But do you think they'll well, let's let's back up and say, like, how do you think they would approach this? Because it's an interesting problem from an input point of view. They would have to kind of do some emulation mapping on a controller mm-hmm. on a PS5 or something. The dimensions are all off. This was even a problem when they were trying to do plate Remember um, what they were calling like uh, the the original downloadable PlayStation or PSP games were also playable on PS3. And the dimensions were all screwed up. So there's a huge series of problems that they actually have to overcome. And yet I think there would be some reason for them to do so. It would be a shame to think that these games would be locked away forever. So how do you think they might approach that? Yeah, one series that I always thought of was uh, and I don't think they'll do it now just because EA owns uh, and has the most popular one. But Battlefront, I remember they had Renegade Squadron and Elite Squadron and the idea that those two never came out as like a maybe a package on PS2 on disc um, always seemed very strange to me. Um, a lot of it could also have to do with licensing and contracts, whether they're still up or not is a whole other question. Um, I will say I would imagine if you were to take a PSP game and remaster it for modern consoles, it would take some level of effort. But I do think of one that I don't think a lot of people talk about, but as a game that is number one, super under discussed. Like I remember there was this huge demand for it to come to the West. It did. And then it just, no one talked. Uh, and that was Final Fantasy Type Zero, which came out on the PS4, I believe. Mm-hmm. And that was a game that was originally a Japan exclusive PSP game. And it was never released to the West. And a lot of people wanted it because it was an M-rated Final Fantasy game and it tackles some darker themes. And there's some really sad elements to the game. And so... You know, I, I imagine that was, I mean, it was it was big enough for Square that they made it a full release and they to even allure people. I remember they put the Final Fantasy 15 demo in that game. But I, I think, of course, it's going to be something that you couldn't just slap together. Uh, we're starting to see this transition with, with ports kind of almost being phased out unless your game's very old. So we're seeing, for example, Star Wars Republic Commando is going to be sold on the PS4 and the Switch. Um, it's not going to be sold on Xbox, but can be sold on those two consoles um where i think you're going to start to see the let's say you wanted to i put this in quotes remaster a xbox one game or a ps4 game for five and uh xbox series x um i think the expectation now is a free update because it's hardware so powerful there's an easier transition there and with stuff existing like fps boost for xbox you can't really justify finding a way to charge for an increased frame rate and better resolution Um, So what's going to happen is I think companies are going to have to start digging deeper, uh, maybe not on the level of because that's a full, huge multi-year project. But I think a Final Fantasy VII remake where, you know, you're going to need to do stuff like that. It's going to be about content. But with stuff like the PSP library, I think if you can figure that out, 
you could justify saying, hey, we want $30 for Daxter because I think that would be a little bit of an overcharge, of course, but I'm saying you could probably get away with that because there is that higher effort level to take this PSP game. You'd have to change the resolution, the controls. Um, I don't, yeah, PSP didn't have touch controls or anything. So no. yeah, you would you would be able to just bring it over by, I'd imagine remapping to a, a modern controller. And uh, then it's about if the developer wants to take it a step further and, and add any more inputs or ideas that they originally missed out on because now they're doing it on a home console. Um, would these games even feel good? Is part of it the novelty? Like, part of it's like the mindset, right? When I'm playing it on a PSP, uh, you understand you're on older hardware. There's an older game, but when you bring it to, when you bring, say, Daxter, we'll say in 2021, it releases on PS5. When you bring that out and that Matrix Quick Time event game comes up, does that lose its luster because you're playing it on hardware where it's not really matching up and the idea really isn't quite there. I don't know if I'm making sense on that. Like you, you have to, no, I totally understand what yeah. you're saying. I, cause I, well, I think a lot of it's about zeitgeist, like mm-hmm. not only playing, not only referential stuff and whatever in games, but also the way we play them. Um, it's why I think little deviance is a great example of a Vita game that I'm like, that game, that game's actually pretty good, but it's a gimmick game and it would be really not. I wouldn't recommend anyone play that today. Cause it's a, a game of a place in time um, mm. that loses its context, yeah. you know? That's kind of what I was saying. Totally yeah, saying. the idea of of playing it on a at a specific point in time, you know, where I think of uh, Final Fantasy Rise or Final Fantasy Metal Gear Rising Revengeance was a game I actually just played last week. You know, it's, I beat that game in less than four hours. It's like it's absurdly short, and I remember spending sixty bucks on that and being so disappointed in high school. Uh, but I still yeah, thought I still thought the game was cool. And uh, going back to it, and it still is cool, but you can see how far Platinum Games came, but more so than anything is those quick time events and how regular they were in games up until I'd say around that point is when they started to get phased out more and more. But, you know, I, I think a lot of games lived off of major quick time events for boss sequences or in the case of, once again, we're just on the top, topic of Daxter, um, this idea of taking those old mechanics and bringing them into uh, a, a modern console, I think it does, you know, I think it, it it shines a brighter spotlight on what I think would be considered now flaws where maybe it's a little more like, oh, this is kind of cool um, when you're playing it on a PSP. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's a, it's an interesting series of challenges that are going to be presented if, if and when these games are going to be migrated. And for every mm. game that has been extracted, there are just so many left behind. Like they, yeah. they finally got Peace Walker off of there, right? And stuff like that. But yes. they never, they, but so like for every example of that, they, you know, they have all these other games that are just, are, are stranded. And it is a shame. So we'll see. I don't know. I don't anticipate, a, I mean, maybe the quickest route to do it is to give people a piece of like hardware that would be loaded with these games. But I just don't think there's PSP nostalgia to the level that, would be requisite to to do something like that. It doesn't yeah. even seem like nostalgia is really supporting some of the ulterior non Nintendo efforts in this space, like Turbo Graphics and Genesis and stuff. I don't feel like there's like that much hype for those. You know, would I be out of place to say I don't even think PlayStation really leans into nostalgia. I you know they they kind of just seem to have turned the page and and quickly moved on. And I think of a series like Sly Cooper, which could be great nowadays, but it's not really relevant to them at all. And I don't think it's relevant to their fans. Even it's just me speaking from someone who grew up with it. I adore that series. And I think PlayStation, uh, you know, like I maybe more relevant to a lot of people was a resistance collection. I think that's something that makes sense, but I don't see them ever doing it because I don't know. I don't, they don't just seem interested. It looked like they were teasing it for a while, but it's a great way. I've never really put it that way. It's a great way to put it, which is like they don't really lean into their their nostalgia for every 
Ratchet and Clank or something that they bring back, there's a bunch of stuff they've abandoned. They did try to do a lot of the stuff during the PS3 era of these either revi- like half-hearted revivals like with Sly Cooper or mm. uh, the collections that they did or whatever. But you're right. I mean, they, they're always kind of moving on. Oh, so I it's about which this. I think might be why the PlayStation Classic felt so half-hearted because yeah. it maybe was half-hearted. There are just a couple other things I wanted to talk about. I wanted to get a couple more games in here just to, to shout them out. Um, I don't know if you have experience with any of these. I think the three Grand Theft Auto games on the platform need to be shouted out. Oh, yeah. So 2005's Liberty City Stories, 2006's Vice City Stories, and then 2009's Chinatown Wars. I wasn't a huge Chinatown Wars fan, and Chinatown Wars was a really weird game because it was originally a Nintendo DS exclusive, which I think people might recall, and it bombed on yeah. DS which was kind of strange because it was like in the post GTA four era and Rockstar was trying to play nice with the Nintendo. You don't really see that ever again. I think a lot of that draws back to this, (laughs) but I think this was a cool kind of game. It was almost like a management game, which was interesting. And then Liberty City stories and Vice City stories were eventually backwards purported to PlayStation two, where I think they actually sold better. But Mm. those were kind of cool. And I remember those being mind blowing when I was in college because and again, it was my buddy that that I learned my roommate that had it, John, but where I was like, uh, I can't believe I'm playing this on a console or a handheld. Rather, this seems quite futuristic, even though when you go back and you actually like look at the footage from those games in particular, those two games, look, they go, those games look like shit. But <laughs> it was really impressive at the time. Did you play any of those GTA games? Uh, I own Chinatown Wars and I'll admit I have not played them, but I, I, I have watched gameplay because, you know, when I was looking at this whole collection of games that I was scooping up, I wanted to know what I was getting into. And when I saw Chinatown Wars, I was kind of shocked i'd never heard that this game exists because one of my favorite things is watching companies take like familiar ip and then spin them off so seeing some of the management ideas that gta actually tinkered with i thought was was cool i like those micromanagements obviously as an rpg player like little systems within systems to me works really well and i think it makes games inherently more interesting uh but i it's one i that i've actually not gotten to um so yeah the p the, the psp because you know i played it as a kid so there was a limitation to I don't want to say yeah. the access I had, but you know, my parents sure. were not gung ho on getting me GTA. I'll say that much. Like I remember, I remember being in Sam's Club, and it was like a battle for my brother to get San Andreas. Like he was, he had the game in hand. He was following my mom around the whole store, like just trying. <laughs> he's just whittling her down over time. Like come on, come on. I'm just hanging out, looking at whatever, and eventually he convinced her, and that was it. Kids are so annoying. I know, right? When I, I would back. I'm uh, like, what, what was I doing? I would have dropped well, my good brother. Kid, but... You know, but that's just me. <laughs> Two other games that I wanted to shout out were one game was a pretty early release from 2006 that I didn't play until a year later. But um, Mega Man Powered Up is a really great Mega Man game. It's basically a remake of the original Mega Man. And it's kind of the spiritual, I guess, influence behind what would become Mega Man Universe, which was that weird Mega Man 2 remake that never came out. Mm. People might remember that was canceled when Inafune left Capcom about 10 years ago. But Mega Man Powered Up was really cool. And what was neat about it was there were a bunch of challenge levels and you can play as all the bosses in the challenge levels. So it wasn't just playing as Mega Man. And they added two new bosses, Oil Man and Time Man, to make it eight like in all the other Mega Man games. Some people think the game is stranded. This is actually an interesting theory. Some people think this game hasn't been ported because if you look up Oil Man, he kind of looks like he's in blackface, which is true. Like... He does. And so some people think like it, 
I didn't make that connection until I read it. And usually nine out of 10 times I read something like that. And I'm like, please fuck off. But I actually when I read that, I was like, oh, shit, you're right. He does look like he's in blackface. Uh, So but that's a great game. If you guys can access that. And then I have to give a shout out to the very last PSP game that I was obsessed with. And I have very fond memories of playing it is uh, Tactics Ogre. Let us cling together, which came out in 2011. Hmm. It's a strategy role playing game in the Final Fantasy Tactics mold. And uh, my PSP was dying at this point. My PSP started, there was like a line down the right side or the left side of my PSP that I guess the connection was off. And so my PSP was like literally dying. I remember being at GDC and on the train that year and everything, like playing this game, like trying to finish it before my save was lost on this memory card and my PSP died. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I really believe Tactics Ogre Let Us Cling Together ended up being one of the very best games on the on the handheld that I had ever played. And that's another game that I don't think has ever been re-released anywhere, although I think it's like a spiritual reimagining of an old Tactics Ogre game. So I did want to shout out those games in addition to the other ones that I mentioned as just some games people might want to look into. Uh, do you have any games that you wanted to tap before we uh, begin to wrap up? Yeah, uh, City of Final Fantasy is definitely one. Sure. You know, once again, kind of one of those experiences where turn-based RPGs didn't click with me. So seeing characters just more lifelike worked really well. So seeing them in action uh, and, and having this whole range of characters that you could kind of just dip into a pool with and and uh, see what they were all about, I thought was really nice for people like me who were who were interested in the concept of Final Fantasy characters but never experienced their games. So for me, Dissidia worked really well, especially now in retrospect, because they did a new Dissidia game. I give Square credit for trying it out, but they did a new Dissidia game, and I thought it was terrible. Um, I did not like it at all. Uh, so more so now than ever. I think that the old Dissidia games are really appreciated. That, by the way, just real quick, will always remind me of Ryan Clements, by the way, my old uh, co-host on Podcast Beyond. He was obsessed He's with Dissidia. That. So That's I, awesome. I, I got to give him a shout out to that. Yeah. Um, the other one I had up, I got to just find it real quickly here in this picture. Oh, Dragon Ball Shin Budokai. Um, so just once again, I, I played a ton of Budokai 2. I played a ton of Budokai Tenkaichi, just these 3D fighting games. Having that on the go uh, and making it feel very seamless in its transition was super, super useful as a kid growing up. Once again, you know, not at the home quite often enough where sitting down and playing games could, um, could uh, you know, could be an option. So being able to just have that there on the go was, was really important. Um, I didn't know this. Web of Shadows was on the PSP. I had no idea about that. Oh, the the um, that was a great Spider-Man game. I think I played that on uh, PS3. Yeah, a lot of people yeah. really liked that because you could you could actually like choose to kill people and <laughs> they could kill Wolverine. I think last shout out. I'm going to say this is just third party, but Need for Speed Most Wanted 510. That one I played a lot. Just uh, I'm not a racing guy, uh, but when I was younger, I was more so one because I, uh, you know, it, I, I always define, define it as. Back then, you could go, oh, you can only race. This makes sense, and we can do as much crazy stuff with racing as we can. But nowadays, you have something like GTA Five, where, granted, it's not like a, a Forza Motorsport, but you can race and then get out of your car and do X, Y, Z. And I think it's gone beyond racing, where some people like the more finer-tuned, you know, I can change my brakes ever so slightly, and I'll get this right grip around the turn. It's not how I really approach uh, my racing games, because I'm just really not into cars and all that stuff. So for me, it's about the doing uh, but back then, just being able to have uh, Need for Speed, uh, which was a, a really popular game amongst my friends. Uh, and one other I just thought of, uh, and I think you mentioned this earlier. I don't know if this was one. How many Castlevania games were on the PSP? Was it just the Dracula X Chronicles? Yeah, I think that was the only one. 
I remember picking this up and liking it. Don't know much about it, but it is basically what would become Castlevania Requiem on PS4. But in the opposite order, I think, where like Symphony of the Night is not you have to like unlock Symphony of the Night by playing Rondo of Blood and all of that. But the, yeah, that was the first game I had ever actually owned. That was what convinced mm. me to go get it, because that was I wasn't really so interested in Rondo of Blood. It was just a way to play Symphony of the Night on the go. And I think it was before the PS1 Classic was available, which yeah, this later is, allowed this you to buy a games in one, correct? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I did own this. This one I played a lot. It was hard as shit. I did not. Yeah, get it's really, it, dude. But... Rondo of Blood is super hard. It's a really hard game. Yeah. So I want to wrap up by asking this question because we're both big Vita fans. I'm a huge Vita fan. Mm-hmm. Simon Dixon wrote in, said, "Hi guys. In what ways is the PSP superior to superior to the Vita, if any? So Vita, of course, is is PSP's successor, uh, launched in 2011 in Japan and 2012 in the West, and it's beleaguered. It still exists, but." and still games are released on it. I've released two games in the last year on it, but it's, you know, really struggling. And uh, I I don't want to answer this in a too fam too fanboyish of a way, but there's nothing the PSP does better than the Vita. Oh, I mean, it, it's, it. <laughs> uh, yeah, like what, what it's not to say you can say the games might be better than Vita's games. I don't think that's true either, but what would the machine do better than the Vita? The Vita is just a much more refined version of the PSP. So in my opinion, it doesn't do anything better. That's why it fascinates me. That system did not do well. I, I think about it every now and then that the Vita just did not get what it deserved. It, it was, I thought such a fantastic machine top to bottom. It evolved everything. I think it really needed to with the PSP to be a worthy successor. And it just, yeah, I, I get the idea of the memory cards being a little overpriced for sure. That was definitely a turnoff, but the fact that that was such like a that started such a steep downfall for what was, you know, even the games as well. I, I when I look at my PSP library and I mentioned the likes of of Killzone, Resistance, like these were franchises that one of Killzone's best games in my opinion, Mercenaries, was on the Vita and it's still there exclusively. Yeah, that game is awesome. Yeah, and I love that game. It blows my mind that people. Granted, that was towards the end of its life cycle, where it was probably one of its. I think it was its last big first party. Uh, Vita game and absolutely a phenomenal send off but I feel like they checked all the boxes you had new ideas like Gravity Rush there which was insane to me you had Persona you had Uncharted uh, and Uncharted Golden Abyss was a good game I thought it was at launch I thought it was really solid yeah at launch I mean yeah. I feel like they did everything they needed to that's why it still sometimes staggers me why it failed and I would love to see PlayStation be crazy enough to say let's try this one more time like take yeah, inspiration from the Switch and make kind of a, a some type of portable console. I don't know why they would. I'm sure they could find the justification for it. They have to be noticing the Switch is doing so well that they could try to crack into that handheld market, and a lot of people would lose it over it. But I don't know if because you're you're you were more in the cut. I was a late adopter of the Vita, right? Like I got it in 2014 with the Walking Dead bundle, um, so I was a little bit more late to things. But for you. What, like what what did you notice when it started to kind of trend down like it wasn't picking up steam what were the direct causes i think the memory card thing i think is almost a scapegoat i mean i think it's easy to look back and say like well the memory card was too expensive and also the late nature in which they announced it so it kind of busted people's budget and i i, I agree that that's a that's part of it but i i honestly think that a lot of it has to do with what we said at the top which is 
PSP's numbers might just be really bloated because people emulated on it and mm. people so people weren't only buying it to not play Sony games, but they were buying if there were if they owned one to play Sony games, they might have bought another one to emulate on, thus busting the numbers yeah. uh, going all the way up. And so I think that maybe part of it, Maddie, is that there just aren't as many PSP gamers as you think, which is why I think. First of all, we don't know the exact number of PSPs that were sold because they started folding the Vita and PSP numbers together, as people might recall. And so we don't have any Vita numbers. We think that it's probably somewhere in the 15 to 17 million range, maybe 20 million at the top. And PSP is probably a little over 80 million. But I would imagine that a third to half of those are redundant purchases or Hmm. or emulated purchases. And so that might have something to do with it, too. And I think you're right, because they did dump a lot of first party resources in the PSP, but then they, they did try to do it again with Vita. And, and what I think carries over between the two is the, the high quality of first party output. But the first party output on Vita was the kiss of death for like four studios as well. So, mm. you know, big, big went away after little deviance. And, um, you know, you had uh, zipper go away after they released unit 13, which I thought was a really great game. Actually, I love unit 13. I think that game's so cool. So, yeah, it's it's kind of a complicated situation. I would love to see them battle Nintendo as well, because it bothers me if it's not them, then someone else. It's just because it bothers me that Nintendo is just kind of uncontested. It's yeah, it, they don't really have to do anything. I mean, I'm not I'm not contesting, by the way, the quality of their games, but it's what I said on Sacred Symbols a couple of weeks ago. They make event games. There are going to be 10 or fewer games on Switch that are like mega games, but they're all Nintendo games and they're going to drive the, the handheld. So there's a space for people to play elsewhere and to play other kinds of games and watching Sony seed that space is, is frustrating to me, especially because they're contesting a different space in PSVR, which I think is awesome too, but I think they have much less to gain there. You know, it's like, so it's a little, it is a little confusing. I'm a little crestfallen by it. Let's yeah. Say. And granted, I'm you and I are both huge fans. So maybe that skews things. Like I understand a lot of people say VR is the future and I, I agree to some extent. I just think it's a very long and distant future and maybe it'll pay off for PlayStation way down the line when it's easier to adopt. And it could be something like I take a pair of glasses and I throw it on and I'm playing PSVR. Like that type of level of simplicity is I think what's going to pull a lot of people in. But something like handheld, I mean, Nintendo's showing it works and that's the main reason mm-hmm. I, I play my Switch is not to, I hate docking my Switch. It looks horrible there, but playing it handheld, that's what makes it click for me. And I know many other people's and, the thing that Nintendo's missing is trophies or, or some type of achievement support. Yeah, I know? wish they would do that. You yeah, know? they, they need to grow up, man. Like, they, <laughs> you know, enough. Like, it's, I'm getting tired of this stuff. And so I would love to see uh, something along those lines. That's also why the Vita really worked for me. I don't know what it was. There was just a good rush when you were getting trophies. Definitely. On your, on your Vita. I don't know how to describe it, man. Like, it was just, and that's a very particular taste. And I'm sure some people don't care. Like, I know Carrick. He hates achievements. He hates trophies. He he has the audacity to turn off the notifications and everything. Like he does not care. It's yeah, that's so funny. I remember when astounding. Sony introduced that your ability to do that, which a lot of people have started doing because yeah. it, it's it's fascinating because um we don't really know exactly what would happen if they went head to head a third time. I think that it would be stacked against them, but I also know Sony is a company of limited means ultimately and and limited resources. They have to focus on PS4 and or PS5 rather, and if they're going to also split their focus with PSVR too now then yeah it makes sense that they wouldn't maybe pursue the handheld but I think it's kind of a mistake and I'll always wonder what what could have happened and I agree with you with the trophies were huge and 
one of the only times Sony ever really publicly admitted that they they made a mistake or were not able to follow through on something was they intended on putting trophies on PSP famously. And they admitted that they couldn't do it because PSP was cracked so wide open that it would it would ruin the trophy ecosystem. And they were really afraid Mm. of what would happen. And they've talked publicly about that. I think it was like John Codera or one of those guys was was talking about it 10 years ago or so. Like we wanted to, we intended to, but because you insist on emulating on this machine and we can't close it back up we can't do trophies and to to their credit with vita i know people have cracked it open in quotes multiple times over the years but they've really never cracked vita open to any way appreciable way which is amazing so it went from one real extreme to the other which is you know i make fun of sony's engineers sometimes because i think they make some questionable questionable (laughs) decisions but you know to their credit vita is a night so vita is a really great piece of kit and um it is a shame you know, everyone, everyone out there. I hate everyone out there. that didn't buy one. I hate them all, all of you. So I only like like 15 million of you. Did the uh, 3G, was that, do you think like another killing blow? Because I remember seeing the ads for that and thinking like, there's no way this is going to work how they're saying. Like you could sit on your bus and play a multiplayer game. Seamlessly. Right. I was like, no fucking way. I, I mean, I remember being ignorant enough to think that that was possible. And oh. I, 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 I think they let people be persuaded by that argument because they never really clarified like it's oh you can start downloading call of duty when you're on 3g you're not going to play a game and it's like well but that would have been cool you know Mm. and i just think so again maybe they were a little ahead of themselves because 4g is really probably what they needed to make that work and maybe it would have been a different reality for vita if it came out in that ecosystem but i remember when at&t was announced as the 3g provider for vita at e3 and whatever 2011 and they got booed I'll never forget that. It was the only time I ever heard someone like boo, like people booing at a press conference like that. And um, so it was it was stacked against it from the beginning. But you had asked like when what became clear, it actually became clear that Vita was going to fail pretty quick because the numbers started rolling in from Japan and they were just not great. And so you knew it was like, oh, man, you know, something's wrong, like right off the bat. So whatever. I mean, hey, your loss, assholes. Yeah, we tried right? to make the to make the Vita go. But. Maddie, that was fun. That was a fun conversation about PSP and PlayStation Portable. Good little knockback, if you will. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, discontinued, by the way, in 2014. So to Maddie's point, if you want to find one, you're going to pay. And this is what I've been trying to tell people, and it's a little late now, but I've been trying for a couple of years to be like, get your Vitas, get your Vitas. And it's it's too late to um, make that argument with uh, PSP because I'm leaning over here because, you know, I went I went through and just bought like multiple just brand new PSPs over the years. This is a Japanese one. Yeah. And uh, because I'm like, I'm not going to play this game with especially because PSPs were exploding and stuff. I'm you know, my PSPs got ruined that way. So uh, with the batteries. So go buy your PSPs if you want. Coincidentally, I I was thinking the same thing. And then uh, yeah. just celebrating my three year anniversary with my girlfriend. And uh, Congratulations. She, thank you. She uh, got me a gift. And it was actually, you know, once again, huge persona fan. I had no idea this thing existed, but it was a limited edition Japanese uh, Persona 4 Dancing All Night PlayStation Vita. Uh, it was a nice. slim model. Yeah. And I never, I never owned a slim model. So I've been like looking for a grip because my hands like cramp when I just use the Vita on its own. And I didn't realize, it, put it this way, if you were looking into a Vita, like now is the time because I'm struggling to find a grip for the slim. Like I, and I mean a solid grip. There are grips out there for 10 bucks, but they're like, yeah, it's a little loose. It's like, I don't want my PSP just or Vita popping out. But like grips are becoming hard to find. They're selling Assassin's Creed for like 30 bucks. Uh, if you if you care about the physical collecting side of things like I do, you know, that's something worth noting. 
And those prices are only going to go up because they're not reproducing those games. And so you can only get them through online marketplaces or if you, you know, whenever, if ever we see, you know, packs or something open up, you can go to one of the shops there and, and, and scoop up some older games. But now is the time to collect. And, and the PSP in particular, I'll just tack on before we wrap up, is, is actually Please. pretty cheap. Um, it's not super expensive. Something like Final Fantasy uh, or Crisis Core, sorry, Final Fantasy VII is uh, you know, a really popular one. And usually those types of bigger gets are the ones that can run up the price tag. The most expensive one I've bought, which in the scheme of things I don't think is that bad, was Valkyrie Profile Lenneth. That was $50 for yeah, a and nice that's, copy. That's still pretty reasonable because you're right. Like, I remember, it's just a cautionary tale from an old man, everyone. Like, mm. I remember being in Funko Land in like the late 90s and there wasn't an NES game in there for more than like 15 or 20 bucks. You were, you were going to pay like $20 for Dragon Warrior 4, or like one of the really rare cards. Like, I remember being in Toys R Us in the mid 90s where there were top loading NESs being sold for like 30 bucks a piece, like stacks of them. Mm-hmm. And it's like if you you just learn the lessons of the yep. past, like and even with G.I. Joe's, which I'm a, I'm a huge you can see in the back, but I'm a huge G.I. Yes. Joe collector, like prices are skyrocketing. Like it, one, things are never going to get cheaper that are old. And yeah. shout out to my the audience either. Also, that got me a couple of PSP TVs or PlayStation TVs because I, I uh, those, sold them yeah, to me dude, because great. like, you know, this these are expensive as fuck, too. So, yeah, just a cautionary tale for everyone out there. <laughs> yeah, I remember um, asking Dustin about his because he, he he has one. And I was like, I will buy that off of you. And I think he said it wasn't for sale, but I was like, damn, bro. Like, I, I well, I have it. um, I bought two of them, so I, I'll send you one. You can just have one. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Yeah. Are you sure? uh, all, yeah. All, and all, one audience member s- refused to take any money except for shipping from me. And then another one, I, sp- I bought it for 100 bucks from him. Okay. So which is way under. So I'll just yeah. send you, I, ha- I have two of them, so I'll just send it. one to you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, no problem. That's something I, I always want to like capture some PSV to gameplay or use it for the channel. And so that'll be great to have. That's why cool. I wanted it mainly. So that's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, I'll drop it in the mail uh, for you next week. So Yay. yeah, that's basically it. But I hope you enjoyed everyone out there this uh, this special episode of Knockback, this Dagonless episode of Knockback. But I assure you, Dagon wouldn't have been able to do this episode. So uh <laughs> So he'll be back uh, next week and we'll get back into the more uh, into the, some of the nerdy things that are more in his realm. This is one of those rare things that the audience voted for that we were not able to deliver. And Maddie was the perfect person to bring in. So, Matt, thanks for help. your time. And uh, I know you're busy, so I appreciate uh, you uh, making no time for us today. And uh, thank you all out there for your love, kindness and support. We'll see you next time for more Knockback. Until then, goodbye. Knockback, a retro and nostalgia podcast, is a product and trademark of Last Stand Media and Collins Last Stand LLC and is recorded from Central Virginia and the Philadelphia suburbs, USA. The show was conceived by and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Dagan Moriarty. Knockback's executive producer is Dustin Furman and the show is edited by associate producer Ben Smith. All of Last Stand's theme music is by Ramon Narvaez. As you know, all of Last Stand Media's shows, including Knockback, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash laststandmedia. The following names are at the producer support level or higher on Patreon, and we're grateful for your kindness and generosity. Andrew Morgan, Gregory Slavinsky, Stephen Nieder, Ross Marenka, Zach Parsley, Miguel A. Brewer, Morgan Ashley, Azan, Michael Vecchio, Jerome Ferreira, SLVFMA, Jorge Palomino, Enrique Perez, Daniel D'Amour, Brad Cooley, Jeremy Key, Patrick Leslie, Troilus True, Isabella Hope, Evan Barr, Talisman, Robbie Nauman, William Holbert, Chris Buston, Betty Ann Moriarty, Tyler Hook, Callan Lennon, Daniel Johnson, H-Tron, Zach Bonham, an unofficial controller podcast, Ethan Davies, Jay Getter, Jeff Mercado, Galja of Fortuna, Boots, Tyler Brown, Megadet, Gavin Newland, Saul 
Paul Balcazar, Raul Melendez, Kevin Singh, Jackson Vernon, Eric Harden, Matt Martin, Adam Barnes, Rodney Coleman, Chris Moore, Antti Kinnanen, Taylor Barkley, Chris Galvin, Mason Cadillac, Chris Buston, Zach Allum, George Anthony Nunez, Kyle Hagel, Christopher, Colin Love, Daryl E. Naaman, Ryan R. Kittredge, Toby Ryland, Michael S., Damon Weathers, Tom Cargill, Richter 86, Hofeldian, Barrett Boswell, Christopher DeVaio, Chris Morton, Kevin Komaki, Blake Israel, Jonathan Coates, Sean Mason, Josh Gravelick, Brian Chan, Organic Produce, Stephen Insler, Mubarak, Carlos Algarit, Richard Hebert III, Miranda Grubba, Ray Lagia, Donnie Nolan, Josh Yeager, Matthew Cooper, Dan Parsons, Martin Beck, Gavin, Joe Antrichek, Nathan R., Joe McPartling, Christopher Moore, Jacob Bell, Lawrence F. Prokop, Dennis Usel, David Everett, Eric Finkenbeiner, Lou and Ray Loper, Dylan Burns, Malachi Wall, John Schultz, David Chestnut, Yusuf, Anton K., Alan Tremblay, Tyler Bello, Ryan T. Mandel, Tony Zuniga, Sean Battershall, Max Lazos, Robbie Hensley, Alex Cabrera, Lennon Brixey, Holly Blakemore, Corey Wyatt, James Kinsler III, Hugo's Desk, Peter Reynolds, Anthony Vasquez, William O'Carroll, Jesper Jansen, Phil Crone, Throw7, Adam Nix, Josh McKinney, Michael Gates, Alex Gates, Ryan Robertson, Sean Chandler, David Mann, Petro Rose, Lockmore, Geo Corsi, Gerald Pennington, Justin Wagaman, Paul Joyce, Chad Lewis, Matt Hazelbaker, Todd Paxton, Joshua Smallwood, Shane Rayum, Spencer Brand, Don Lee, John Cordero, Keith A. Lewis, Marius Garson Peterson, Tyler Harris, Matthew Perdue, Patrick Harper, Mad Mock Media, Jonathan Rice, and Casual Misfits Gaming.